what are the three questions that you would ask an evangelical to demonstrate they're an evangelical? Four things. Uh, emphasis on the authority of Scripture. Um centrality of the atonement, basically meaning Jesus Christ died for sins and makes you right with God. Um, Conversionism, which basically means you you convert and accept Jesus's good news. And then activism, uh, uh, basically in the forms of evangelical and, and issues of social justice. Welcome to the Crossing Phase podcast. My name is Matt Hawkins. My co-conspirator and uh, unindicted co-conspirator is John Pinna coming to you oh, live well, from... We're in the middle of an argument, which is we're, why we decided to hit record. Right. And this is why Matthew can't do the lead-in. Because we're in the middle of a Pauline argument, uh, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to make my points until we record, even though I'm midpoint. And and so this, this is, is my problem. favorite. This is my favorite show start ever. Right. So this is the setup. Um, while uh, well, hold, hold on, hold, coming hold, online, I, yeah. I get a glimpse of his screen before he flips his camera around that says, "Are, are do evangelicals?" Are evangelicals following evangelical doctrine or deviating yeah, from evangelical yeah. doctrine? Yeah. Do do evangelicals still believe evangelical doctrines? It's a right. So which shows a crisis of faith in the Hawkins home right now. We're we're this is we're right now a patient like patient zero. So here's the Southern Baptist Conference guy. We all know they're having some problems in their offices. This and all this stuff is crazy. So I turn around and I go, well, once you follow Pauline doctrine, once you accept Pauline doctrine, it's a free for all. And, and to which I said, "Stop it!" <laughs> no, you said, "Oh, to a certain degree, you're right." But no, it's not what that. I said. I said, you're, <laughs> "I said that's not right." It's absolutely right. Who is and not? Then I was referring to an argument, not an argument, but a conversation I was having with a guy because there was this uh, guy doing, you know, apologetics, and, and I said, "You know, the problem is, is that if you if the Pauline doctrine just doesn't, it just doesn't wash it." You know, and the guy's like, "Well, it's in the Gospels. He met, he met with Jesus three times." I'm like, "He didn't meet with Jesus three times." I mean. He, he's a guy that turns around and says, this could be really, really great if he's not a Roman operative. He's a guy that says, this is really, really great. How do I bring this to the Gentiles? Let me detach it from the law, of which he was brought the back. The gospel was already going to the Gentiles. Times, three times to, to, to reaffirm that he was in alignment with the law. And he basically just said, yeah, I'm in alignment with the law. This could be great. And then the yeah. second he hit the city limits, he was like a free-for-all. Well, I mean, the basic contention of the early church was that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of Jewish, um, <laughs> of the Jewish lineage and of Jewish prophecy. So, of course, he's going to affirm that uh, Christianity is an extension and harmonious with Jewish law. Um, but what I would, I was going to point out to you, yeah, I don't, I don't dear, talking, dear John, see, I like the conversation we have before we go online. You don't, and, you don't want any, you don't want any pushback to your, to your Pauline challenges. There's no, there's no pushback. He did not meet Jesus. John. Period. Are you, you're, you're familiar with the, uh, the gospel of Luke, correct? Don't start you telling me the gospel is all of a sudden proof. I'm just, like, just yet, we can go down a rabbit hole of like a Hitchens argument. Yet, yes or no? Mean? Yes or no? Tell me what's going on. Do, do, just let's for the listeners yeah. for us because otherwise it's a private conversation. Yeah, let's go <laughs> you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? I you know. have four Gospels. Yes. Right. And yeah. John is a little bit of an outlier, but basically, kind of the, the three episodic. I feel like that's a dick um, on me, but that's okay. That's all no. Right. Well, right. <laughs> okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and they all look all look a little different. They have different different um, uh, different authors and different styles, and uh, uh, at least at least slightly different uh, primary audiences. But Luke, right. right? Luke is one of the gospels. Right. Well, the book of Acts, John, you probably know this, yes. is basically Luke part two. It's the same author, and he's the yep. guy who both wrote the gospel of Luke and who also chronicled 
uh, Paul's conversion experience. And then, right? So, like, there's continuity there that I don't think you really uh, like to admit. No, listen, I admit that it's that, that if you have faith, then that's that's the only right right way of doing it. it's like it's like guns right i have guns i don't know if you have guns but there's only the argument for defense of owning guns is okay secure you know you have it for safety you have it for self-defense but, but there's a point in, where it's just i like guns right and and so that's why i have guns right i enjoy sure. shooting i enjoy target I practice i enjoy going out with and my buddies and 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 faffing about and then we like to go to our secret gun range and 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 blow up things but that's that's all because we like it right there's no sure there's no defense argument even though like you said it's protecting the constitution and i would say it is the last line of defense against tyranny so okay <laughs> but you know do you need an armory i don't know you know i would argue you probably don't and i would argue that most people that haven't been in combat zones or known know about combat about being a soldier probably shouldn't have things weapons that are used in combat situations if you want to use those weapons become a soldier and have one yeah. or two that's it and don't give them to your nephew who's contemplating going through some shit you know yeah okay. so um you know so, so something happens at school same thing with pauline doctrines the same thing with the gospels it's it, you know, the problem is that there, there are it always goes to a point where it just say look I, I it's it's my faith belief that all this stuff happened and this and this lineage is true because the problem is is like you got a guy like me who believes in abrahamic lineage right and you have the torah you have jewish law right you got that stuff which which is solid and then you have the quran and the sunnah and the hadith which is solid because we know the guy existed the prophet, peace be upon him, and we know that things need to be confirmed by multiple sources that we know to have existed, right? Individuals that knew the prophet, knew what he said, that sort of thing, and 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 that becomes, you know, what you would consider like canon, right? So that we can speak, and then you have right. this this sliver in between, which I'm not going to argue. Someone had to write the gospels. Right, I right. get nervous about right. the editing of the Gospels and translation of the Gospels from the Greek and all this other stuff. So that that is troublesome in itself. But then you also have what's included and wasn't included and why. That's troublesome in itself. And I always say, go back to the source. Narrator, the narrator here says not troublesome. <laughs> well, of course you. I mean, but of but of course you have to say. But I mean. I mean, but you gotta. So well, the problem is, is, it's a matter of faith. It's the same thing, even with Islam. You could just turn around and, and you get to the point where you could say you don't believe in Islam. I have to turn around and say it's a matter. Of, it, no matter how many ways you slice it, uh, it's a faith jump in Islam, even though it's solid, right? It's solid from a and, and from a a, a, a provenance perspective right of the idea of being able to prove someone existed this is what happened this is what's going on this was written down it's it's all recited by a, 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 it's all memorized by a group of muslims and so if the if the, if the document of the quran was destroyed it, it, it's the same it maintains its same integrity but it still doesn't matter because it gets to the point of where and i even i have this problem with my own tribe it's like they start Saying, well, you know, the Quran's true because you know it talked about science that no one could know about it, so it must be divinely revealed. All that stuff doesn't matter if somebody doesn't believe. And so it's there's still a matter of faith, and the proof points become faith. But back to the conversation of <laughs> are evangelicals following the evangelical doctrine, which I don't know. I was asserting, and this is this is me being a jerk, right? Asserting that that evangelical doctrine is Pauline doctrine, but I don't know what evangelical doctrine is. So yeah. that's my question. So I was I was just poking fun at you because you know we always get to that down this road of of Paul. So which you know is a runaway train. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> yeah. So, so the so the article prompting our prompting our discussion um, is over World Magazine um, in their op-ed pages, and uh, it's "Do Evangelicals Still Believe Evangelical Doctrines?" by uh, freelance writer Erica Anderson, um, and the subtitle is uh, as if you already d didn't get it from uh, John's initial commentary. And mine is the quote: "Survey reveals woeful ignorance of foundational doctrines." And uh, the the she's writing up an essay uh, <clears throat> related to a study done by um, in part Lifeway Research, and um, it's called the State of Theology. I'll link to both of these things in the yeah. show notes. Um, I think it's by uh, Lifeway Research and uh, Ligonier Ministries. I think which comes out of the R.C. Sproul. Uh, yeah, it's Lig Ligonier Ministries. Um, so basically, these are Christian organizations, um, both uh, uh, basically theological training uh, for you know for out people outside the the Christian space. Um, Ligonier Ministries is a long time um, uh, theological education organization and. Um, It'll be a sponsor of our of our podcast. That would be great. You know, those <laughs> yeah, guys. Great. I, mean, I, uh, I, I, guys. No, I, I, I grew up on a lot of Ligonier, a lot of Ligonier training. Um, the uh, the the late founder of Ligonier is a guy by the name of R.C. Sproul. Um, my dad and my parents uh, spent a lot of time uh, under their training and uh, many many car rides. For those of you who are familiar, uh, listening to my dad listening to R.C. Sproul sermons, um, and so you have that organization, Ligonier. Um, it was initially founded in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. That's where they got their name, and then they're I think they're headquartered in Florida now. Um, but uh, predominantly, you know, it's a uh, evangelical, but uh, certainly if you're familiar with the reformed terminology, um, it, it comes out of that tradition. And then Lifeway Research, which is uh, Lifeway is uh, the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention affiliated publishing arm, and uh, they have a research wing called Lifeway Research. And so the state of theology uh, is, a, I think, a survey that they've done uh, periodically over the course of a number of years. Um, and I think they have some, they have US data and they also have some UK data. And so uh, I hadn't even read all of uh, Anderson's article here yet. I just had it up on my screen and, <laughs> and John kind of pounced on it. Um, well, it was just a fun. So, 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 so wait, wait, what is evangelical deviant? When you say that, yeah. I don't know what that means, deviating. But that's why I jumped on the fall train because I was like, yeah. maybe that's, that, you know, because I always try to, you know, dip. But what is when someone yeah. says, so, when we say evangelical doctrine, what would that, yeah. what is that? When we say doctrine, we say, you know, basically f fundamental beliefs, um, you know, f the the virgin birth, um, the uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, um, oh. the creation of the world by God. Uh, if you go, th those things are like doctrines. Um, no, but that's even, I mean, it's that's Christian doctrine, but what would you right. that right. consider evangelical doctrine? Yeah. Well, so like, for example, according to the survey, uh, only 43%, so this is a minority, 43% of evangelicals say they believe Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. So a, a basic evangelical belief, a basic evangelical doctrine is that Jesus is God, uh, that um, he's part of a Trinitarian Godhead. And uh, you have 43% uh, it's still a minority, but that means only 57%, um, still a majority, but not significant <laughs> believe right. Jesus was God. Um, that's, that, that's a problem. Um, and these are, um, let's see, I'm skimming through this. Is it an article? Um, yeah, it's in an article. I sent you the link. Um, let's see. So, I mean, you know, we know, I mean, so I, I mean, so you're, 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 you're reviewing the article. So we know Paul, there's, we know Paul existed in the gospels. Yes. Well, not in the gospels, but we know from Acts. We then, know he like, he's like, so he's in Acts quite a bit, right? So we know that Bo he was- Book like, of Acts, a.k.a. The Gospel of Luke, Part Two. It's right. it's annoying because so, in the in the in the canon we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. But that's because John. They're all the Gospels are kind of. Well, yeah. It, I mean, so in Acts, it it 
it basically kind of demonstrates his lineage, right? Like they, he was in Jerusalem here and, and then, and then he was, you know, it, it talks about how, um, you participate in some of this stuff that's going on in, 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 uh, like Stephen stoning and all that other business. Right. And then, the right. Conversion. Yeah. So, so acts basically right. is situated acts is situated right between the gospels and then what we call the, um, the rest of the new Testament are all letters. Um, so after acts you get, uh, Romans and the, basically the Pauline epistles. So all of, uh, Paul's writings follow acts. Uh, and so acts sets apart a little bit, um, from the rest of the New Testament in that it's uh, it's not it's comes immediately after the Gospels because you have the Gospels which is the life of Christ basically and then the Acts meaning Acts of depends on how you want to uh, translate it and, and church history is uh, um, different portions of church history have called it different and at times it's you can either look at it as Acts of the Apostles, <laughs> Acts of the Disciples, uh, or some people say, look, this is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but that's where the, so basically Acts meaning it's the light, what did they do? Uh, what what did the early followers of Jesus do? And so you, it's basically a historic account of the, the very, very, very early church after Christ's death. Um, and the Acts also accounts for, the early, early chapters of Acts accounts for uh, the appearances of Jesus to his disciples um, uh, after his resurrection essentially it asserts that that the, that the disciples that the apostles couldn't handle the business and then and paul was chosen by jesus specifically even though the crucifixion already happened and he basically said we need this christian bounty hunter to become our voice and I'm just making sure, I, you know, and this is like, you, you know, Acts, you know, you got, we got it all through Acts. Well, like, yeah, but look, there's, look, there's six chapters, there are at least, there are at least six chapters of Acts before you get to, uh, before you get to the entry of Paul and the apostles actually were delivering. They, they were, they were throwing down and the gospel was going forth, um, well why, outside why Jerusalem. Paul? So that's the question. Why Paul then? He, he would ask the same thing. Because because Jesus is interested in redeeming sinners, and Paul and Paul Paul literally says he he among sinners is foremost. So why so why Paul? So Christ could show his glory through the through a dramatic conversion of someone like Paul who was rounding up early Christians and putting them in jail and approving of their their persecution torture and death that explains his that explains his his conversion but not why he becomes the forerunner of the church and like was 80 80 percent or more of the Bible is all yeah. Pauline writing Pauline doctrine yeah so all right so but anyways, which are so which are letters of faith. so you're saying glory of god and i have to just accept that because that's just like that's a good that's a good answer that's a better answer than all this other stuff and apologetics with all this stuff about Paul. that's a better answer the glory of god and i'm like okay 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 well it's you know? an orthodox it's an orthodox little o orthodox answer but that's a great that that's a, that's a solid answer when it comes Thank to you. faith when it comes to religion that's that's actually the most honest answer that i've ever gotten any Christian, you, you heard it here. <laughs> so, like, like that's solid. Like, you know, you're like, you know, well, I know. What's, what's, why, why would, would anybody be a Jain or a Hindu or this and that? And you'd be like, you want to know what? Uh, it comforts me. I believe it, and you know, this is what speaks to me. You know, like it, that, those. Are, that's how every argument with faith goes. It just is going to end up there. And if you try to argue it out with the Gospels or you know, hadiths or sunnah, whatever it is that you want to, you know, and pieces of the Torah, doesn't matter what any religious book you want. Um, the challenge is, is that if you're then grow up in that tradition, you probably are going to be a skeptical about it. And even if, and if you're somebody like, like you or I, who's grown up with multiple traditions surrounding us, you know, in, particularly in our adult lives, um, we're going to, we're going to continue to question what's going on, even in, in our own, thing, you know, because we're, we are being, we're very judicious about what's going on, but, but that was, that's, that's the most, that's the most honest answer, the glory of God. So, all right. So here's the thing. 
Well, it's it's true. And like, it, look, it, it's I'm, I'm I'm celebrating. That no, I I, I, pre- I appreciate that. Well, and I think um, when when a Christian receives that kind of question about like why Paul, I think we we do we have like this impulse to want to go apologetics, right? Um, right. And and we can look in, we can probably look in scripture and see some, uh, what you might call like rational explanations for why Paul. Um, and uh, look, I, I could, we could talk through his biology or uh, by biology, his biography. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, there, there, are, there, I think there are, I think you could say um, that he was, you could you could go apologetic and say, look, he he had a he had a biography uh, and a training as one of the as a a Jew's Jew basically, and so someone like him coming out of the out of the Jewish hierarchy and embracing um, following Jesus Christ, and then and then not only taking it to other Jews, but then to the Gentiles. Um, he wasn't the only one, obviously, and, and the. Um, chronologically, the gospel was already going to uh, uh, Gentiles prior to Paul's entry, but he does become a, he is kind of a credible figure uh, based on his training and biography. So I think you could rationally, you could pull together some kind of apologetic rationalizations uh, for why Paul. Uh, and I think he probably, um, he there are probably some passages that Pauline uh, scholars would say, hey, he explains it himself here. Um, but uh, he's uh, frequently humbled um, most of, most of his letter writing uh, comes from when he was during times that he was in prison and couldn't do anything else. So there's kind of a running joke that um, Paul was the kind of personality who uh, w- wouldn't sit down and write stuff unless he were jailed, right? So <laughs> right? he's kind of, the, kind of maybe like a maybe he like a John Pinna character who's always always into something, always traveling, right? Always talking to people and always doing the work, getting stuff done, uh, and probably wouldn't sit down and uh, sit down to write letters. Unless he was literally jailed, uh, jailed, and, and it was the only thing he could do. Um, but my answer, look, it's rooted in why, like, why anybody, uh, why Paul, uh, why, why anybody? Uh, it's it's because Jesus Christ uh, wants to glorify Himself and uh, and glorify God, and uh, He does that primarily uh, by redeeming uh, people who are lost and broken. So that's my answer. I'm sticking with it. All right. Like you said, it's it's like I said, it's better than 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 just stating gospel as fact. You know what I mean? Like it, it's better. It's a better. It's a better argument. Let me put it that way. But so here's the thing. So what? So when it when it comes to evangelicals losing evangelical that do- are not adhering to evangelical doctrine. So what, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about. Um, we're talking about you saying that like the fundamentals of Christianity. Yeah. Like that's like, so first off, what does that mean? So you're talking about not going to church. Not, I'm talking about not, uh, the, the divinity of Christ. Uh, so of Christ. basically um, belief in original sin, right? That we start off as sinners. Um, the exclusivity of the Christian religion, um, what, what uh, kind of multi-faith community calls an exclusivist religion. Um, and uh Yeah. Were, these were among views that were either rejected or confused. Uh, I mean, do you think this is more? This is a result of Christian nationalism. It's like this this patriotic element overlay becomes the the the, the, the foundational elements right. of, I, of, of of a Christian belief, and it's yeah. more along the line about being outward instead of inward of of saying, okay, you want to know what this is a Christian con- country. You know, this is a. I, I watched this old video of of some Christian nationalists, and they were saying, uh, you know, at the end of days, everybody's going to go back to their 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 countries, and they were talking about um, different ethnicities going back to where they're supposed to be. And then, and and so, and it was really it was really interesting because they guys, the, the, it was um, you know, it was one of those talk shows, and uh, and he goes, uh, the, the host goes. Well, there were American natives here and they go, no, this is the new Jerusalem. And that's why, you know, what white people will be here. You know what I mean? And they're saying that, that all these other ethnicities were going to go back to their homelands. And, and I'm sitting there going, but it was rooted in like this sort of Christian nationalism of like, well, there's, yeah. there's a Christian nation. Um, we need to eliminate that diversity. Uh, and, 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 and what comes from that out of that is, you know, like flags, 
you know, or Trumpism, you know, all this stuff that comes out of these, this, this idea that it's not about Christianity, it's more about nationalism, and that, the, the, you know, Christianity becomes a, a justifier only in the fact that Jesus is the link to God and God is, is making this providential. You know yeah, what I mean? I, yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And, and the timing of these kinds of observations, along with the rise of Christian nationalism, makes for some interesting conversations. I don't think it's the cause of Christian nationalism. Um, nationalism. Uh, no, a result and, of it, like a result of it, you know, is, is, is leaving the fundamentals. And just yeah, yeah. I, I think I think confusion. So in this uh, state of theology, I think the confusion and even the to the extent the rejection of of foundational Christian doctrines, I think it is a factor among others uh, for the rise of Christian nationalism. Because when you're when you start to get fuzzy on proper doctrine within Christianity, then all of a sudden. Um, it's you become more vulnerable to being tempted uh, into other definitions of Christianity, uh, I mean, among this, which among which Christian nationalism is one. Does that make yeah, sense? The same, yeah, the same thing happened with nine eleven, right? So, so nine eleven, right? Regardless of what pantheon <laughs> of, of theories that show associated with it, the fact is is that Islam ended up being responsible for it, right? It, it, you know, and yeah. And, and the problem is it doesn't matter if it was a small group of, of extremists that, that are part of a doomsday cult that claim to be Muslim who are not. But the fact is, is that it defined Islam for the next 20 some odd years. And there was a bunch of people that were disenfranchised with their jobs or this or that, whatever it is. And yeah. because of 9-11, because of whatever happened as a re- after that, and that, that could have been you know, uh, bigotry, persecution, all kinds of stuff that people had, you know, that the members of the faith or people that even looked like they were Muslim, like the Sikh community, were hammered. And yeah. that put them into an extremist, that, that, that brought them over the line, right? To an extremist view or brought them into the doomsday cult. If not in action, but in, in, um, in, in theology, right? In, in thinking, yeah. which pulls you from Islamic doctrine, right? Pulls you yeah. from the traditions, pulls you from what would be practice, pulls you from what that would be the fundamentals, right? And brings you into a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a anti-colonial doomsday mindset, um, which is really a, a, an anti-colonial movement rather than Islam. So that that happened yeah. in Islam, and and so and and we're still reeling from all that, you know, like my. You know, I, I, I remember, you know, my brother-in-law was sitting at, 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 the, at the train station at, at the, uh, down in New York City. And he was in the movie industry and he would wear jeans with like a N65 jacket, like a military jacket style jacket, right? Army uh, from, from the Vietnam era. And I remember him being all the way on the other end of the platform and everyone being on the other side after 9-11, right? And it was just him. And like yeah. that, that isolation made him more extreme made him more extreme in his thinking and he he would listen to some of the the, the talking points and he's and he i wouldn't consider him extremist but for a while there it was really difficult for him um because he you know he looked like a terrorist or what people thought would be a terrorist right mm-hmm. and so um and that and that brought him into that it's i think it's it might it's something similar with christian nationalism is that you're it's it's if you're disenfranchised and you could say I'm a cultural Christian, but I don't really, you know, I'm not going to do the math on my beliefs. Um, but I really am for America, and this is what I believe America should be. Therefore, you know, it 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 starts to make sense um, when you're in that mindset. And then before you know it, here you are running down this down down this road, and you don't believe in the fundamentals of Christianity anymore because it's not yeah. part of your ethos because you're living in an extremist environment where you believe you're under siege. Well, yeah, and it gets it gets into this like cultural protectionism stuff where you believe your own culture has like basically a birthright um, to be the dominant culture and as soon as you start start talking culture it gets really squishy about what those definitions are right and it kind of boils down to people that look like me and act like me and are from the same place as me right yeah. it, it tends to be it tends to boil down and then uh historically when you're talking about a nationalistic project um they're they're basically they they're uh, they're 
their uh, truncating history and making what I believe is a um, they they tend to be fairly arbitrary periods of time in history when they point to say see right here in history is when it was awesome and that was all of our people doing our things and they look like us and believe like us and that for that reason uh, that also ought to be uh, the future of our nation um, there are all kinds of problems with that we didn't really set out today to <laughs> talk about nationalism well, um, but uh, but but because like let but it's not but but in this context it's really tough because that, yeah. that form of nationalism can be dangerous when you're yeah. when you're talking about it from the the definition yeah. that you're you're just yeah, yeah. That, that you're defining that you're talking but, about. But yeah, so like for example, like if uh if if one of the doctrines about Christianity is about local church membership, basically meaning um, all Christians where possible, even though the particulars will look different, um, we're, we're called to be a part of a local body, uh, an identifiable local body, right? Now that's going to look different here in Lebanon, Tennessee, than it does say for a church body in say Iran or China, where they have yeah. to have enclosed secure home churches um, very quietly. Nevertheless, uh, there is some expectation in the Christian life that um, barring some, you know, you know, preventative circumstances, um, we're all called to kind of be part of a local church in a, in a formal way. Um, when, um, when, when you start to, dis, when you start to dis, disconnect Christianity, um, from the local church as a part of that, as a part of the part of Christianity, then that's one more way where you're kind of like the primary, what we would believe again, again, I'm a Pauline kind of guy. It annoys you, but <laughs> go with me here. <laughs> when we when we look at the Pauline the the epistles that uh, give us more insight about how to do the local church, that a lot of which comes from Acts and um, and the Pauline epistles. Um, when you start to uh, diminish that part in the life of the church, then Christianity starts to be defined by a lot of stuff that's outside the church. Uh, it gets into cultural and uh, culture and history and, and nationhood and all that kind of stuff. And it gets, it gets really squishy, especially when, um, we, we start to separate from say concepts like pastoral authority and, uh, and, uh, you know, church discipline. And, um, you know, there's a, they're like 35, what we call one another commandments in the new Testament, like forbear with one another. Um, it's kind of like they're more granular expressions of love of neighbor, but they're, uh, they're, you know, they're directed at Christians about how to treat one another within the Christian body. Um, <clears throat> when you diminish the obligation someone has to a local church, you also then diminish uh, our account our accountability for uh, uh, performing and delivering on the one another commandments. Um, and so when you start to detract, when you start to water down uh, basic Christian doctrine, then it's not that <clears throat> people start like just stop believing and then the belief goes away that creates a vacuum and then other other belief influences um, start to encroach on that including you know 24 7 cable news shows and rumor mills and social media and all that kind of stuff well where do you i mean where does it where do you think the the idea that you know the tradition of martyrdom is i mean that's a big christian belief right that's like so when you're comfortable and it's very hard to demonstrate martyrdom that creeps in in insidious ways in Christianity. Would you agree with that? Say that, say that again. Martyrdom is like, is a tradition, is part of the tradition, right? And it's, it's something that's, 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 that's honored, revered, right? The persecution of Christians. And when you're yeah. in a comfortable position, you're in a, you're in a, a you know, a, a first world country and you're not, you're not really being persecuted in the same same manner, shape, or form. You have to come up with ways of being persecuted in innovative ways, is what I'm saying. And that creeps yeah. in in insidious ways, which turns into some of this doomsday stuff, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, it happens. It's, it's it's it comes in a different form in Islam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like I'm very critical about that. You know, like you know, we talk, you and I talk about you know, Christianity is the most persecuted religion. That no, Christian is the most persecuted population in the world. Religion in the world. You know. We, we get into that. And I remember when it was, the numbers were like 10 million, then it turned to 20, then it turned to 80, then it turned to a hundred and something, you know, 
And it was because it was all about positioning Christians as the most persecuted globally. And, 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 it, and, and then it, the definition of what persecuted was started to shift so that the numbers could increase, right? And so yeah. I don't want to talk about that specifically, which we can, we can and we will if you want. And maybe at the ne- that could be the next show, because I've watched that happen over the last 10 years, particularly since you and I met. But what happens when you're comfortable? You're going to your strip mall, you're, you're hanging out, you're doing your thing, and you're not participating in martyrdom in Christianity. Yeah. How does that affect the psyche of a Christian? Um, that's a great question, and there's a lot of chatter about that going on within uh, Christian circles. Um, you know, what do we call Christianity? What do we call persecution um, versus what do we call, you know, what I would, you know, dis- what, what's discrimination, right? Um, and our friend Knox Thames uh, wrote a piece about this in 2020 about uh, it was in the context of um, of church closures, right? Church closings, uh, houses of worship closing uh, in the pandemic, um, and not not to go down the the COVID nineteen uh, route, but uh, that among other things. Um, lead a lot of Christians to start using the, the word persecution here in America. Um, I, along with Knox and many others, are very, very skeptical whether we whether it's appropriate to use that term. I think you can argue that persecution certainly, and I think uh, not not the word specifically, but certainly the concept of discrimination is in the Bible. Um, and and where we draw that, where, where that line, where discrimination becomes persecution, I think we in the West uh, need to be very cautious about where we identify that line. I think um, we've had Supreme Court cases, right, um, of people who have lost their jobs um, uh, in the context of living out their faith. Um, so on the one hand, I do, I would agree that that's a kind of, uh, a lot of those cases are discrimination. Uh, on the other hand, I have a hard time labeling it persecution when we win a Supreme Court case through through uh, legal processes, That's right? Right through due process, right? That our country has been uh, largely founded upon. Um, and so I think when we you call it persecution, number one, you uh, we risk a couple of things. We risk exaggerating what's really going on in this country. Um, and then I think you also diminish those who have really been persecuted, right? Right. Yeah, like, you know, people who have been, uh, and you you know within your own community, it's ha- it happens within Islam uh, Islamic circles, um, but people who have actually, you know, been jailed, uh, tortured, murdered, um, you know, murdered publicly, or, in, you know, in the cases of China, you know, people disappeared or sent to concentration camps, um, you know, the, the Holocaust is about 70 years old. Like that's, that's persecution. All right. Um, and so I'm really, really cautious about what we label as persecution here in the States. Uh, while at the same time agreeing that, uh, there are, there are plenty of instances, um, that, that we've seen where, uh, Christians have been discriminated against. Uh, and I know, you know, friends of the political left don't like uh, don't like to conceive that discrimination is possible against the ma- somebody in the majority culture or religion. Um, but I, I think I think we have seen cases like that. And just because somebody is part of a, a majority uh, culture or faith doesn't mean they 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 are immune from being discriminated against. Um, so that's my kind of riff on that. But yeah, I, I, the, while martyrdom is, is real in the Christian life, um, both in scripture and throughout the history of the church, um, uh, we have to, I think we need to be real, real cautious that it doesn't become, like you say, a, uh, a martyrdom, uh, what did you label martyr, martyr syndrome, martyr. Well, it's the same, you know, martyr, martyrdom is part of the <clears throat> tradition. You know, and it's, you know, it's revered. It, 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 there's, and, it, and I've, you know, I've, I've felt this with a, a lot of my different faith groups, but particularly about the most persecuted um, narrative that has grown over the last, you know, 10, I would say 10 years, 15 years, but, but 10 years in the, and, and the last five years has been out of control. But this jockeying for position and redefinition of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one example of, of that is that, you know, there's a, there a report that came out of the UK and it was, uh, Christians are the most persecuted people on the planet, uh, religious faith group on the planet, but Muslims are second. And, and, and it defines it by 
how many countries, right? So right. You know, it, like it defines it by countries, countries with restrict with like known restrictions, right? Right, but but in, in it was it was it was like you know there, 177 countries. I'm just making up this number. Christians yeah, sure. are persecuted, and Muslims are persecuted in 172, and, it, right, and right. you know, and, and 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 the problem is is that uh, in some of those countries, it could be one person persecuted, right? So right. so yeah, yeah. it wasn't counting the amounts of people, yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. And I'm just I'm just like I said, I'm just making those numbers up because I don't have the report from me. But I remember you know asking the the the, the researchers on that, and they and and it was it was just read I was read back with a smile, and I go, okay. Okay. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. You know, so, so uh, yeah, I, but, I think that may, that may largely be a factor, uh, e- even well outside religious circles. You, you were in DC long enough in the advocacy space that um, one of the key one of the key tools in a public policy advocacy's uh, advocates pocket right are big numbers. Yeah, and, and and the and the biggest numbers are the best. Right. And uh, it's it, it's it, it could be a little bit of a marketing strategy. Right. Because you want your people to pay it. You want your potential supporters and uh, policymakers to pay attention to it. So when you can use superlatives like most worst stuff, right, you want to be able to make that claim. Uh, the problem with that, as you explained, is uh, is sometimes right. you can you can use the data um, in in different ways. And it's not always um there, you know, if you if you look at the data a little more, di- a little differently, um, uh, we get a little different picture. People are still being persecuted. It's still really terrible for Christians or Muslims. Um, right. But it's you know, when you start trying to get into the details about who's the most persecuted. Um, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's I think a, that has a, it has a, some you know that has person. limited. Yeah, I, I think that has limited value. And I'm uh, even though I have friends. Um, and maybe I've even made those similar kind of talking points. I don't know. Um, I, well, it depends on your audience, but you know, well, you sit there and, you, and, and you know, sometimes you know, like sometimes you play to it because you have to. You know, I get it. You know, I've you know, I've walked. Or, I, I said, oh, you know, I got eighty. I got eighty million Muslims persecuted in China. I got two hundred million in, in India. I've been, I've done that. You know, said it. Not saying the most, but uh, to counter the argument, some something. But I think that there's a there's a, a, a particular, there's a uniqueness in the, in, in when it comes to the Christian community, because martyrdom's part of the tradition. Martyrdom is celebrated in, in a macabre sort of fashion. Um, and, and, and I'm not devaluing that tradition. I'm just saying it's, it's interesting, but then you can say we're the most persecuted in the world. And you could be living in Kingston, New York and just living your life and saying, but we're the most persecuted. And that, and then that checks that martyrdom box and makes you feel good because you're, you're, you're kind of walking amongst the saints. In, in a in a strange way you know what i mean well that and you're is- and you're sharing in um you're in, in many cases we would say you're sharing in christ's sufferings right i mean right. christ christ says um uh um they they will persecute me because they you know or they will persecute you because they persecuted me right so right. we're basically told to expect it um or or to it to anticipate it you get to right. enjoy your life here in Kingston, New York, for example. I'm not talking about anybody specifically. You get to enjoy your, your life in Kingston, New York. That's really unchanged because someone is saying we're the most persecuted. You know what I mean? And that yeah. that, that that gives you a, a, a little bit of juice to say, all right, I've checked that Christian box. As yeah. opposed to like going to a soup kitchen you know, or doing something very Christian you know, <laughs> to help out. But all right. So evangelicals now are, are deviating from doctrine. Um, the end is nigh, right? So we're so we're the, the evangelicals are. <laughs> so what what's the point of the article? What what's the at the end of the article? Like what's the is it is it just we need to figure it all out and get back on track, or is it saying like what what what, what, how, what was your take on the outcomes of that article? And yeah, well, the, uh, our conversation here, you know, about yeah, the author Erica Anderson, uh, she's basically. Basically, her her point is, uh, quote, next last paragraph, quote, the modern comma Western church has failed people in the area of theological education. We have allowed cultural Christianity to dominate and politics to infect parts of our church culture at times. Um, Even so, for this percentage of self-identified evangelicals to have such a deep misunderstanding of foundational components of our faith is a scary revelation, unquote. 
And so she puts the burden, you know, largely back on the church. Um, and so the, this is a, one of those instances where, uh, the church, the Western church, right. Um, is kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a variety of what we call the universal church, right? So the church, right? Um, uh, collectively, um, the the challenge here and anywhere, which is kind of my soapbox, is that uh, we can critique the church, this kind of universal uh, collaborative thing up here. Um, that's but the problem with that is that that's kind of uh, a little bit ethereal and squishy, right? It's kind of up in the clouds. It's a thing. It's a biblical ver use of the word church. Uh, but in, unless you actually give some tools uh, for local church uh, to then disseminate, train, and develop, um, uh, then you're really not going to uh, make any progress, right? Uh, otherwise, it just kind of boils down to individualism and uh, and hope that people read their own theological education. So you have, you know, you have very different churches do this differently and in various ways uh part of the problem with some of this the data is you know what i haven't looked at the data is how much of these people are like self-identified evangelical christians versus like um somebody who's identified them based on doctrinal answers that basically qualify them as uh what we would call doctrinal uh, evangelical so i haven't looked at that part part of the data what are, what are uh, the three questions what are the three questions that you would ask an evangelical to demonstrate they're an evangelical so there's something called Bebbing. This is the word I was looking for. Bebbington's quadrilateral. Um, basically, it's a historic um, identity of what what would define an evangelical Christian. Um, and uh, they're basically four things: uh, emphasis on the authority of Scripture. Um, centrality of the atonement basically meaning jesus christ died for sins and makes yeah. you right with god um conversionism which basically means you you know convert into uh, accept jesus's good news and then activism uh basically in the forms of evangelical and and issues of social justice um that's that's been his kind of in recent history kind of a measure of what define what it defines to be a, a little e evangelical Christian, um, and there's some other definitions that have uh, you know people you know quibble with those kinds of things, um, but uh, folks like uh, Lifeway Research and Barna Group um, tend to have pretty solid definitions. I, the the other question I always like to look at in surveys survey data is how often people are attending services because a lot of times a lot of the a lot of, a lot of these issues even political issues the answers differ between people who are attending services at least weekly to those who identify with the faith but only attend like once or twice a year right um and so that's always a free, frequency of church attendance basically is uh, often a factor when we look at these surveys yeah i mean the, the um it's interesting, it interesting because like I, I was just kind of thought about that because they self-identify as Muslim, right? And then I, the Shahada generally is 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 what it is. So that's the pro, the profession of faith, right? Which you know, and uh, you know, so it's like you know, God is the only God. Allah is the God, and and, and his messenger is is Muhammad, right? Peace be upon. So that that's generally what you say. But I always like. And that's what the Israelis use, you know, to get to the Alaska, Alaska Mosque, the Alaska Mosque, which is in, uh, you know, Temple Mount, they ask you, they, they'll ask you, you know, to do the Shahada, right? And so, and, the, you know, the idea is that no one will do it. They never asked me because apparently I look fine, right? And then, uh, but I always figure Alhamdulillah, which is a, a prayer, is like, okay, they know as, if they know every side of Alhamdulillah, then they, they got it. You know what I mean? Like, no one's going to know that unless they can speak Arabic, can pray, you know, pray regularly, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Um, Cause anybody can, I, I don't want, people can fake or say the Shada, but not really, you know, believe it in their hearts. So, but uh, I think, I think it's, it's much harder for, for Christians than for Christians, right? Cause you gotta, you gotta, there's, you, it's, and then what kind of Christian are you, but how do you, how do you define, you know, evangelicalism? Um, in, in a sense where you could say, okay, well, I believe this, this, and this, you know? Yeah. You know, like that, like, so, and then it's even farther when you talk about, okay, what are the pillars of Islam? Or, uh, in, in, you know, is it, is, if, you're, if you're Sunni Shia, like where, where do you reside in, in the idea of who is the authority? Um, right. And, and like, like no Muslim, no, no Sunni is going to say that they're, 
in alignment with the authorities of, Shi of Shiism and, and, and no, none of them are going to go on the other side. There's ways in which you say things that immediately right. gives you up and that's it. You're uh -huh. done. Right. You're yeah, yeah, sure. Yep. You know, so like that, like it's very, it's very straight lines in Islam. So, um, and I don't know anybody who would, who would commit to saying that they're Muslim without actually being it, considering the climate post 9-11. You know? Right, so, right. But, uh, but anyways, I, I, I mean, I appreciate your, um, I appreciate you, you know, us chatting about this because it doesn't make it's weird because when you when you talk about you know the the, the fundamentals, is this is the this is the fight in Islam. The fight in Islam is is, is a doomsday cults defining the narrative, and that that has happened largely globally up to a, probably about five years ago after 9/11, and is that happening now in evangelicalism, where? You know, you know, Catholicism kind of gets is in its own lane, and sort of Eastern Orthodoxy is in its own sort of lane. But then Evangelicalism, because of political Islam, or politicalism, because of uh, Christian nationalism, is it being redefined into something else? Is it morphing into something else? And this is what you're, you know, you're witness in a public space. This is the stuff that you work on all the time. Is you know, how do you how how is you know how is that 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 dichotomy well how's that working you know how is right. that does it look like and i think this article is trying to suss that out a bit yeah and it's well, like and, we're all thinking anyways we and we don't well, know well and and the other thing is uh we before we wrap up you know our last our conversation last week was about the the declining of of numbers of christians in the u.s or the declining numbers of people americans who claim uh to be a part of an organized expression of christian christian religion um and so there are two factors here right uh looking at the data you have number one a, a significant decrease right um from when like the, what was it like 72 or something you're like 90 percent of americans uh were Christian and then now it's you know well into the 50 percentile I forget what whatever the last show was we have show notes there yeah. um, and it's basically inclined in to it looks like it's gonna be a, <clears throat> a minority uh, meaning less than 50 percent of the American populace um, by 20 was it 2070 at least yeah. maybe 20 as early as maybe as early as 2050 um, but the point is uh, you have a declining uh, number of people who are identifying themselves as Christian, and then within that declining number, uh, this uh, this survey uh, of declining belief in founding neutral doctrines, right? So uh, there's a decline here in American Christianity, both in in quantity and apparently, according to the survey, in quality. Um, that well, would be very, yeah, well, very discouraging. The foundational document, but what, then the next question is, what do they believe? You know, like that's like what is a foundation? What would they define as a foundational document? You know, is it like whatever you know Marjorie Green Taylor says? You know, whatever she says. You know, what I mean, like, like you know, so you know, is it is it is it Trumpism? Is it is it or is it just something like uh, who's the guy uh, uh, Olson? What's his name? Joel Olson. Is it just more along that line, like the prosperity gospel situation? You know. Yeah. I mean, Good question. Know, what what you know? What is what is it that they would? That would be to me the interesting question: What is foundational to you, as an as an self-identifying evangelical? Because that you know, what would that mean, and 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 what it, what is it to, you know, what would it mean for them if they whatever they said, what would that mean to evangelicalism? Is it something taken tied to, or is it something foreign? Yeah. You know. So, anyways, I appreciate taking the time, Bob. I appreciate it. That was, and again, that was one of my favorite intros because we started we started recording in the middle of an argument. That was great. <laughs> oh, we're talk about Paul. Uh, uh, my name is Matt Hawkins. Uh, my co-host is John Pinna. We're available at crossingphase.com and on most of the social medias. Uh, you can find us there. What were you going to say, John? No, no, no. We we got it. We'll we'll get into. We we'll have to get into the polling conversation a little bit deeper. We'll have to talk about Axe, Mark, and John. I don't know. We got Luke floating around somewhere there. So, so we'll have to get into it because how does it, I just pulled this up and it said, of course, of course, Paul did encounter Jesus on the Damascus road. I'm like, oh, well, of course, I think it goes without saying, you know, like, why would we even, so we'll have to pull this out. We'll have to suss this out. And we'll have to go from the story from beginning to end. And I'm not going to like, not to, not to blow holes in it, but just so we can understand the idea, the, the idea of someone saying, 
Of course, Paul did encounter the Lord Jesus on the Damascus after the Christ resurrection. I mean, the whole statement to me is just like, oh my God, it's fantastic. So, well, because well, Muslims believe well, this. They believe that Jesus, Hazrat Isa, peace be upon him, right? Is, right. You, you, don't, you don't believe that he, he died in the first place. So you don't, you go, you don't believe in the resurrection. Let's not muddy the water with, with, okay, let's not muddy the water with the rest of the church. I'm just saying, you're like, of course, of course the appearance on the Damascus Road is fantastical to you relative to somebody who believes that God raised Jesus from the dead. uh, Meeting, meeting a post-resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road is somewhat less fantastical than if you don't believe, um, in the resurrection in the first place. <laughs> it's an, essentially, we believe in God of mercy, therefore a blood sacrifice is, is if, if, the, you know, a lot of demanding of blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of, some, of sins would be uh, outrageous if, if for, for sins you didn't commit. Um, so anyways, but that's a whole another ball of wax. But here's the thing, because it, it, it also contradicts the idea that we do Kurbani, which is, the, the the ritualistic killing of animals and spilling of blood. So there's a, that's a whole huge conversation that I'm happy to get into um, and unpack. But um, with somebody who's listening to this is going to go, oh my God, we got we, we got it. You know, we got Muslims on this. But the problem is, is that we have the Torah, Psalms, and the Quran. Okay, so those are three uncorrupted documents, right? And the idea is that the Injil exists, a book of sayings that has it Isa, you know, put down. And that's somewhere. And so the idea that anything else is not Injil, right? So that's the key. Um, and that's the idea behind why I'm always joking around with the Gospels and stuff like that. So, so I mean, and, and we can, you know, we can wait into all that stuff. So that's kind of the crux of it. But, because there is a source document, you guys call it the source from Hazadisa, from you know, so from from Jesus. So you're so. saying you're saying, yeah, this is a tangent. We we need to pump the brakes. But you're saying that the thing that the Jesus movement, the Jesus seminar, whatever that orbit of uh, scholars called Q, you're claiming that as the same thing as what? No, I'm not. I I I think that. There's a term that the Q document is a source document from Jesus okay. that people talk about. I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go into the. I, I think it's the idea that there was some kind of source document from Jesus. I'm I'm using that as a reference point because the Injil is essentially would be instead of the Gospels, it's the book that the book of sayings that was made in real time, either. As it, as Jesus put it down, or was was it was dictated to, or it was written as he was proceeding through his 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 ministry. So so that's the idea behind the injah, right? And that it, yeah. it exists, but it it's it hasn't been found, or it hasn't been, you know, it's not it's somewhere. And so the the everything else is. Can, can I is, can I point out the obvious? What? <clears throat> the attack on documents for which we actually have some decent provenance to the belief of a document which has no provenance seems awkward we shouldn't get into this at the end of the show <laughs> we, we really we really do need to get in so here's the thing I'm, I'm you, you see the dilemma it. right you see the dilemma I you do. see, you you see the you see the conflict. Okay. Well, the the, the, the you know the, the the justification is that the idea. So it, you you have to think about it from this standpoint. So like, there's three books that exist that are uncorrupted, right? There's that they're defined, and I say books like the Torah is a, a bunch of stuff, right? So so the idea that there would be an uncorrupted version of of um, Hadadisa from Hazadisa is is part of that, that that idea that there's something anchoring anchoring one of the most influential if not like i mean it's pivotal Hazadisa is pivotal in this song so 
the idea is one of the unmovables, right? And so, you know, with like with like Moses, like Musa and and Abraham and all that stuff. So he's one of the unmovables. So there's so there's there's got the idea that there's got to be that there was or there is something there. So you know, the problem is is that is that um, and we can get into that if you want at the next one. If you want to talk about the Injal, and I'm happy to talk have a whole show on the Injal if you want. The you Jesus or stuff. I, 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 you can probably handle it yourself. I I would need to bring uh bring in a backup player. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> with more expertise. Well, you know, you know the Gospels. You know, you 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 know what's said about Hasidisa. I'm just, yep. you know, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm, try, I'm bringing out the the idea of what this is, which is more of a description of the document than okay. it okay. would be the document. I because I can't presume what to know what it is. Yeah, sure. All right, fair <laughs> enough. In the Quran, I do know that. There's what in the Quran? There's pieces in the Quran that speak okay. about Hadith and the justifications, and 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 essentially it it refers to the idea that this is is this an existence somewhere. Okay. So, but I don't know. I mean, you know, like who knows? Again, this is my whole thing about artifacts, you know, and uh, what are they, what are they called? Uh, is you know, like relics, you know, so a whole thing about finding a relic somewhere. So it must exist somewhere. Maybe, uh, you know, like it, 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 apparently the, the lost documents uh, it, it existed in upstate New York with Joe Smith. Right. Found the place from Maroney. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Well, All I right. appreciate you taking the time. Sounds good, my friend. All right. All right. Talk to you later.